Hey y'all, I'm Reese, and welcome to Making Meaning. Making Meaning is here to guide you along your path to make meaning in a way that makes sense for you. This week, I am sitting down with Dallas Brister and Natalie Dixon, two friends of mine from graduate school. Um, We all met at TCU together, and the graduate program at TCU is pretty small, so master's students and doctorate students are all in the same classes together. So while I was working on my master's, Dallas and Natalie were working on their doctorates, and they have now launched their own podcast called The PhD To Be Podcast. They discuss the pathway to getting a graduate degree, the ups and downs that come with that, the unknowns before choosing to go to graduate school, what life after graduate school is like, all of that wonderful, wonderful information. I was lucky enough to be a guest on their podcast as well, and we had such a great conversation about my graduate school experience, so you definitely don't want to miss that upcoming episode, so make sure you subscribe to the phd to be podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and follow them at the phd to be podcast on Instagram. So Dallas and Natalie and I were all in the English graduate program, but we all studied slightly different things. While I was studying writing, Dallas is studying literature, and Natalie is studying rhetoric and composition. Um, This was also my first time having two guests on the podcast, which was a really fun new challenge, and really interesting to see how these two great friends and co-podcast hosts bounced off of each other and were able to kind of interweave their answers with one another. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So let's take a deep breath and get started. Awesome. Well, Natalie, Dallas, thank you all so much for taking the time to sit down with me and chit chat on this beautiful Saturday morning. I really appreciate it. We're excited. Yeah, we're really excited to be here with you. Thank y'all. I appreciate it. Okay, so the first question I always ask, I haven't had two guests before, so I'm really excited to like have a little duo and see what comes of that conversation. But the first thing is just what's one thing that each of y'all are grateful for to kind of start our conversation off on the right foot? I'm thankful for Natalie. Oh, that's so cute. It is true. We haven't seen each other very much this week, so like, I'm so happy I get to see her in person today. I love it. I was going to say, like, I'm grateful for community, just knowing that Mm. I have, like, friends and people that we can connect with, like you, Reese, and just everybody that's... I've had a very difficult week, and so it's been nice to know that I can reach out to people, so I'm grateful for community. Yeah, I love that. Community is so important, and I think also... I mean, speaking of grad school, it is one of the strongest communities that I've ever found is, you know, it's... This sounds really dramatic, but it's almost like trauma bonding where it's like you're all going through this really intense shared experience. So, of course, you're going to vibe. So, oh, yeah. Thank you all for sharing that. Then the second question I ask is, what is your story? But to give us a little bit of a difference, I would love to hear the story of y'all's podcast, PhD to be. What is the story there and how each of y'all's stories has come to merge together in this community of a podcast that discusses what it's like to be pursuing graduate school. Yeah, I'll, you want yeah, to start? Yeah, okay. you can start. So Dallas and I taught a podcasting assignment. Uh, this is a second assignment in comp one. It was a very like tedious process because we didn't know any of the technology and, the, and we weren't asking students to, to do much of the technology. So it really wasn't that big of a deal, but Um, It was just such a different genre that we were like, this this is like interesting. And then after we kind of taught it, at least definitely in my case, I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, I love the idea of being able to talk about something, anything, but just like in general. And and, um, so that kind of had been on my mind after experimenting with that with my students. And then uh, one day I was driving, I'm assuming to school, because that's usually where I go. (laughs) 
And I felt like, I, I really truly felt like God was telling me like, you know, you want to speak about something like you, um, you know, this is, I want to be able to talk about something. And it felt like a really, like a realization, which is interesting because I'm in rhetoric and that's all about like speech and argument and persuasion yeah. and talking. And so I, um, then I went to my therapist and I kept telling him, I was like, you know, I feel like I'm lacking courage. Like, I feel like there's, there are things that I want to do, but I just never actually go out and pursue them. And so he kind of, it actually made him sad. He literally said, Natalie, I'm sad that you say that you're not courageous. And so that's kind of been on my mind. And then eventually I was like, what if I started a podcast? And so that's when Dallas comes into the mix. When I tell her, I'm like, what if we did a podcast together? And so then we sort of just started kind of like planning and me wanting to be courageous. I was like, I'm not just going to start planning. It's like, I'm actually going to do this. And so yeah. we soon, so we soon like ended up getting mics and, and started figuring out all the mechanics with that. And then now we're at where we're at today, where we get to talk about graduate school and just everything that it encompasses. And we try to have like different people on the podcast to speak about it in um, their own, their own way. I love that. I absolutely love that. Dallas? Yeah. And then I guess uh, I can talk about more of our um, our friendship um, before the podcast, right? Um, Natalie and I became friends like super quickly. Mm -hmm. So by the time we decided to do the podcast, we were, we had, we've created this like really close like friendship bond. So um, yeah, we just started hanging out last summer a lot and then before we both knew it we were just like we were really codependent <laughs> <laughs> which is why I was so sad that I didn't get to see her very much this week because I can't go too many days without seeing Natalie um so by the time we decided to do this podcast like we had become so close yeah that it like it wasn't even a question <clears throat> it was like hey you want to do a podcast um yep sure like <laughs> yeah tell me what and where <laughs> just like yeah just whatever like yeah, literally say the word and I'm down. Yeah. And it just all happened like pretty quickly. And Natalie was really the catalyst for like getting everything started for sure. And um, then we had Ashley make our logo. And then after that, we were like ready to rock and roll. So I love that. And tell me a little bit about what it's been like to put these things that you're talking about out into the world. Because I think for me, that's been something that's the most calling on me to be courageous is like not just sitting here and doing it but knowing that you're putting it out there like inherently people are going to use their judgment on it which it's like that could be a positive judgment could be a negative judgment but it's like what a risk to actually put something you care about out into the world so tell me a little bit about what that's been like for y'all yeah I think like for me going into grad school like nobody tells you anything right it's all just like a facts figure it out yourself kind of thing so as Natalie and I have navigated right just the bureaucracy that is grad school yeah. with applications with just the different process of you know going from your first year to you know exams to dissertation and like just there's things that just no one tells you yeah so I think we kind of want to be that resource for people who are incoming um that way they have something where they're like, okay, I know that I'm going to need to do this or I'm expecting this to happen. And not to say that like our experiences are like one size fits all. Sure, sure. But I think like having like someone tell you like, here's all you need to know about conferences or here's all we know about the application process. Like that's really important because really like they, nobody tells you anything. Yeah. There's not like some info sheet you get when you yeah, uh, and every school apply is so, to grad school. Yeah, and every school is so different. Like the application process is basically the same everywhere. Sure. But like there's little nuances between and like just knowing like you have to be like on top of that kind of thing, right? Like yeah. it's just you're never expecting like just how hard certain aspects of grad school are going to be. And no one really can prepare. No one really prepared you for like what it's going to be like. So... Yeah, I love that. Natalie? So pretty much echoing everything Dallas said, except I will add that. Um, so I started going to therapy in July of last year. And burnout really put me in a position where mm. I was like, 
this is horrendous. Like, I can't yeah. believe, I can't believe that graduate school put me in this position. And then the depression and the anxiety that I was feeling was so intense. And it was so terrifying that I was like, I don't want others to go through that. And so, um, really for me, I think burnout was the thing that made me want to tell everybody, this is what it's like. This is what you need to know. This is what my experiences have been, how I've dealt with it and just the many different things. Like to me, it's a matter of, I want to put this out there because I want to give advice so that when you go into this, you don't put yourself in a position that I put myself in. And now I'm having to recover from, from burnout. So part of me is like wanting to help somebody navigate that or like mitigate the damage that graduate school can do on somebody's mental health. Absolutely. I think that's 100% a really big part of, you know, like Dallas was talking about, you're not told things and the mental toll and emotional energy that being a graduate student is and takes is not something that's talked about. I feel like so often people are like, oh yeah, I'll go to grad school. That makes sense. That's a good next step for me. Or I'll just tack on a master's or whatever. And it's like, well, you're, you're actually not just tacking something on, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also love that you are sharing your experience with therapy because that's been so powerful and instrumental for me in my own journey as like just a human being, right? For my own emotional development. So you were talking a little bit about how burnout was really what caused that. So what was this impetus that like when you started going to therapy, because I feel like that is something else talking about bravery and needing courage, like saying I do need help, right? Takes a lot of courage. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, Well, I I had like not wanted to go to therapy for a while because I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, And then I kind of hit my breaking point when I realized like I was on edge. And so thankfully I have insurance and my husband helps me pay for pays for my therapy, not helps me literally pays for all my sessions. (laughs) So, um, you know, I went into that and and, and while I was there, you know, it's funny because I really started to kind of like put the pieces together on like why grad school is the way that it is. And so I'm currently writing a piece with, um, do you remember Natalie Schellenberg? Oh yeah, absolutely. So she and I are writing a piece and, and we talk about burnout and building coalition as graduate students and how we can use collaboration to mitigate that. Um, and I feel like when I was in therapy, like it's really helped me sort of see like why things are the way that they are Mm. and like why people are the way that they are. I've become so much more self-aware of myself. And so I started realizing like the capitalism and colonialism of academia is uh, the reason why we have burnout. (laughs) And so part of it for me was like, I'm going to talk about that and what that has mentally done to me. And so I I couldn't, I don't think I could have done that without therapy. Absolutely. And I think that's such a important thing to talk about because, you know, as people who are in graduate school or, you know, went through the graduate school process, we talk a lot about colonialism and, uh, capitalism and how, um, imperialism has completely changed the course of, for us in the English program, literature and language and, how language impacts the way we tell story today, the way we have told story um, and what all that means. But one thing that I think I always ignored was how that is impacting me Mm -hmm. right now, right? Like we're talking about this in the past, but also how is that impacting our interaction with it and the way we're engaging with these texts that interact with it? Um, Dallas, what are your thoughts on burnout? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I haven't experienced it as bad as Natalie in this current time of the PhD, but I feel like in my master's program is when it really hit. Yeah. Because I think that was the first time of like realizing like, oh, grad school is a whole other thing that I could have never imagined. So I feel like I've already kind of gone through that process a little bit. Um, not to say that I still don't get burned out like I do, sure, but yeah. it's it, I know how to manage it a little bit better now. Um, but yeah, like going back to the whole like imperialist 
thing that like is the university right like I feel like you know it's really easy for us to sit in class and like talk about the ways imperialism has affected um society but like it still impacts the university and it's like how do like we can talk about it all day but like how do we actively change that and I think you know like Natalie and and Natalie Schellenberger right (laughs) Right. writing their piece about like how collaboration can kind of mitigate mitigate that burnout and like it's kind of up to us to kind of like change the things that we can within the university structures and within the university hierarchies and it's really hard to change those things yeah it's really hard and there's so many things that affect us as students like right now being graduate students that are still these like after effects of this like colonialist colonialist imperialistic kind of um you know way that the university yeah. has become like the systems and structures that they're built on yeah yeah and so it it, it does lead us to burnout like really easily yeah. because we're you know we're just such a small subset of the university and right. we don't have as much impact as we should as graduate students because we don't feed you know we're not being we don't pay the university. Yeah. So things are more catered to the undergraduates, but then things are also decided by a hierarchy of professors, right? Who are, you know, white men. Right. <laughs> like, I hate to say, I hate to be like, oh yeah, it's all white men, but like, you know, majority right. white men who are making all the decisions who don't understand what it's like to be a minority um, or, or just, you know, and it's like, it's weird because it's like, surely like they know the undergrad, they know the undergraduate experience because they did it. They right. know the graduate experience because they, they did, did it. it. Yeah. But there's like this whole gatekeepy thing of like, oh, well, let's just continue the system as is and not yeah. change it. And it's like, why would you want to continue a system that has harmed so many? But if you're a person who wasn't as deeply affected by that system or directly benefiting from it, yeah, if you were directly yeah. benefiting from it, um, then why would you want to change it? Right. And I do think a lot of that can be in, in not to say that this is not equally as bad, but almost subconscious is something that I've picked up on is that people don't realize that they are an active arbiter of this system. And that's why they're not paying attention to that, to it because it doesn't impact them. So they just mm-hmm. don't want to do anything about it. Cause they're just not thinking intentionally about that, but it really does directly harm students today. Wow. Thank y'all for sharing that. Um, so continuing kind of on this thought with how burnout is impacting you right now, obviously graduate school is supposed to be this place for you to hone your skills, work on your intellect or intelligence to be able to then go, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants and hopefully make progress in the world, right? Like graduate school is supposed to be the places where the cream of the crop, the frontline thinkers are. What made y'all want to live your life in such a way that graduate school is a big part of that? Because I do think it's not one of the only avenues that you can use to continue to hone your skills, right? But obviously y'all both chose to use it to do that. Why graduate school? And any path would have the negatives, right? And the positives. But yeah, why graduate school? Um, That's such an interesting question because like my why graduate school, when I first thought about graduate school to what it's doing now, it's very different. So I think like for me, very naturally, like it was like, well, I want to be a professor. Okay, so you have to take the graduate school route, right? Um. But I feel like only recently I really feel like I'm thankful for my dream to be a professor, Mm. like the sort of the root of it. And like it's been able to change as time has gone on. And I think for me now, like the reason why I stay in graduate school and like I've I've despite the burnout, I, I appreciate what I'm doing and I like what I'm doing. And this is the path that I'm pursuing to accomplish whatever it is that I want to accomplish. I think I'm just kind of sort of realizing, like, especially because I do rhetoric and composition, just the importance and the impact that writing and argument and all those types of things have on people. And so um, I feel like my reason for graduate school now is just to work to change uh, how we how we view academia, how we view writing classrooms, how we view teaching, how we view administrative work 
how we view um, identity in these spaces. Um, and that's something that I that wasn't my goal when I first started, but it's the, my goal now. Um, and so that's really what keeps me what keeps me going. And, and I think that that's I think being in academia and wanting to change those things makes to me the most sense, like why I continue to be here. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah, was. honestly, like same to all of that, except for like, I'm not in rhetoric, right? Um, but like my intentions of going to grad school, right, were also to be a professor. And I still do have those intentions, right? Like that's still like that part hasn't changed. But I think once I discovered disability studies, mm. um, it made me realize like, oh, if I study this and I become a someone who studies literature that involves disability or even studies like disability rhetoric, um, even though I'm not in comp, right? Like I still kind of look at those things. Sure, um, sure. Like I could be a true advocate, right? And in, in a lot of ways um, within the university, right? Which is what, if we want to break down these structures, right? Like that's what we need. Absolutely. Um, and I think of myself as like, I definitely think of myself now, not just wanting to be a professor, but wanting to be an advocate for those with disabilities and like wanting to actually see like effective change happening, like at the structural level, not just within the university. Right. Like, but like everywhere. Um, and those are like big lofty dreams. Of course, like I'm just one person, like how does writing about disability in literature, like make change. But I think it can right like absolutely you know and you're when you're te- when I finally get to teach classes on you know disability and literature or like whatever right you know you're influencing young minds that are um who maybe wouldn't have thought about things like that otherwise um and again like this all also connects back to identity identity I think Natalie and I have a lot of similar um goals when it comes to things like that even though we're studying like different things um it all kind of connects back to this like how do you view your own identity? How can you help break down like racist systems and ableist systems and things like that? Um, so yeah, I mean like same, same as Natalie really, it's just yeah. slightly, slightly different, but yeah. No, I love that. Cause it really is. Well, and seeing that you'll have such similar goals, but like you were saying, y'all still study very different things, but there's so many pathways to make change. Um, and like grad school is one of those pathways, but even within grad school, there's so many different choices that you can make to do that. Um, both of y'all are so rooted in being change makers and wanting to make the world a better place. And I think that is so admirable and, you know, it makes me proud to call y'all friends. Right. <laughs> but I don't think that everyone has that same ethos about the way they conduct themselves in the world. Um, what motivates y'all to have that attitude, to have that outlook? Uh, I mean, I think for me, it's my faith. Um, you know, like we, so I'm Catholic. Um, and so being a Christian, I think is really the foundation. I mean, if I see something as racist, I'm like, "Mm, I don't, I don't think that's a good thing because it's not. And so, you know, so like, especially things with like grad school. Um, and I'm thinking about like, um, you know, the, the person of color experience is going to be different in academia. Like to me, it just, it, it's all like social justice motivated in that case. It's like, okay, so we have this group of people who are in academia, which only tends to serve one type of student. I'm, I'm motivated to make this place a better place because I know that that's the just thing to do. Mm. And so my faith really brings me to recognize that and to, um, just think about the ways that we can, um, help and support others in that context, which is interesting because academia, even at TCU is very secularized and, um, I still try to find ways and I have find, found ways um, to bring that forward. And so for me, like my faith is everything. My faith is, is the thing that really just kind of shows me like, hey, what the way this person is being treated or like I'll see like I'll be in the building of Reed and I'm going on the I'm on the first floor over by the elevators. And I'm like, how is somebody who's in a, in a, who has a uh, limited mobility going to open this door? 
like you know like that to me like makes me mad and i'm like that right there like i'm red flag this person's not being treated as they should be right this building is not accessible and so from there i'm like that that all for me like is rooted in is like is rooted in my faith yeah similar to natalie i feel like my faith is also a pretty big important part of like why i'm motivated to continue with being like this disability like advocate right um but also my brother like every everybody who knows me knows right that i have a twin brother with downs Mm -hmm. and just seeing the things that he's had to go through over the years that i think i think anybody would see as being just completely you know wrong or not you know just like an injustice like um, in certain ways, like just the way he's talked down to, because people just assume that he doesn't understand or, and like, even if he doesn't understand something, right. Like that doesn't mean that you would just assume that right off the bat, you know, or just, or that it makes him less than. Yeah. Right. Like, I think there's like this idea that like, oh, people with disabilities, especially like cognitive disabilities and developmental disabilities, like we see with like down syndrome, for example, like their quality of life is less than because, you know, they have downs or because they have autism or because they have whatever and it's like no that's not true and um I think like that kind of (laughs) like lights a fire in me that makes me mad (laughs) and so I want to um you know that that kind of motivates me as well but also like the idea of like my faith also being a motivating factor as well like when you see things happening and you're like that ain't Christ like you know Mm. like yeah, and and Reese earlier you said something about like that they're less than. I think a lot of what people, I, I feel like a lot of what our society does is just we're just sitting here comparing who's more valuable than others, mm. and that's I think if I could boil it down to one thing is that we are continuously arguing who has more value, and money and power are are the things that make some our society says that makes some some people more valuable than others and so i think that's really it and then that again boils down back to my faith yeah because you know jesus didn't see anybody as being less valuable than other people and i think that when you when you are a christian um like you're taught that right like that value is taught to you i mean not that you have to be a christian to be taught that value right, right but i feel like it's definitely like instilled within the faith because of the like we're called to live like jesus right Mm -hmm. and jesus you know did not see people as not being valuable just because of you know they're poor or because they have a disability or because of xyz right Right. um so i think as christians like we're real that that kind of value is really instilled in the faith so then we carry that with us and then when you're actively seeing things happen against people you love who are disabled or who are a person of color or etc etc um you know it really just is like angering Mm. yeah absolutely and you know even thinking about how you were saying christians are called to be christ-like are called to live in accordance with the way jesus lived right and I, i always think of how many scriptures is jesus the one sitting with the people who are the outcasts of society helping working or not even helping because i think that also creates a hierarchy a Mm -hmm. dichotomy of power like Mm -hmm. you were saying it's still an inherent comparison but just being in presence with someone it's like everyone is worth your time and energy period just because they're a human being exactly right Right. um a question that i want to ask y'all um talk to me a little bit about the difference for y'all between faith and religion, because obviously Christianity, Catholicism are, you know, organized religions, Mm -hmm. but in both of y'all's previous answers, you were talking a lot about faith and how the faith is really what pushes you to have this mindset. And I love that. I think that, you know, everyone has faith in something, so you should choose very wisely what you put your faith in. Mm -hmm. And I think, choosing a different religion or a different framework can really help you guide that value system. But what's the difference between religion and faith for y'all? Do you want me to go? Yeah. Okay. I always think of like religion as sort of being like the structure, right? And then faith is being like your personal relationship 
to God, right? Um, like faith is the thing that sustains your idea of the religion you're in, mm. in a way. Um, and like, you know, I think faith, like the faith in God that I have, I feel like it's the same faith that Natalie has in God. It's just, we practice different religions. Like if that, well, not the same per se, but like, how do I word it? Help it, me it, out it here, gets, Natalie. So it gets a little complicated because we're both Christians, but the structure that we approach it, there's just some differences. Right. So it's still the same religion. Right. I don't, but I, I hate when people are like, oh yeah, Catholic and then Christian. I'm yeah, like, but no. they're both Christian. Yeah. Like yeah. they're both Christian. It's just the ways of practicing are different. But I feel like yeah. the way we have faith in God is the same. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Totally the practice is different. The faith is the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would echo exactly what Dallas just said. I think, um, I think about Catholicism as like the, the structure of it and in Catholic faith, we're very structured. We have, um, every Catholic church reads the same mass readings every single day. So if you mm-hmm. were to go to one, you know, one day th- th- they're reading the same one. So, you know, we have that structure and then we have like diocese and, and all those types of things. So in, in that sense, that's more like, like Dallas said, more the structure of it. And then the faith is just the thing that keeps you going. It's the thing that, that motivates you to act, that motivates you to, um, to live out your faith. Your faith makes you live your faith. It's like a, it's yeah. just like more like, um, a guide it's 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 the thing that kind of just keeps you going yeah absolutely and i think that hearing y'all's comparison of like just because you practice in different ways does not mean that the belief is necessarily not rooted in the same heart i guess i don't want to mischaracterize what y'all have said so please correct me if i'm wrong um but i love that and i think that's really wonderful because also i think a lot of the time a lot of the times we see people um you know, cause someone could also theoretically have the same religion, but not have that same faith, right? right. Like mm-hmm. the religion does not mean that you are that same person of faith or that you have, that you practice, live out that same value system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ritual and practice is so important in all areas of our lives, but especially spirituality, but you know, any habit you have, anything becomes ritual, anything becomes mm-hmm. The, the things that you use to take up your time, the things that you repeatedly do become who you are, mm-hmm. right? So I do think that having that structure is really important for keeping you tied to the faith that you do believe in, right? Um, but I think also having that separate consideration is really important because of people who maybe practice the same thing, but with a different intention right. is... I think it's important to draw the distinction there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So kind of on that note, because this is something I personally struggle with a lot, um, just in my own kind of spirituality practices and wanting to be as open and accepting, but also having trouble with, you know, growing up in Texas and being raised in the Christian faith, but wanting to be as open and accepting as possible And when other people, unfortunately, use that label or use that religion without the faith behind it for things that are hurtful and negative, how do y'all deal with that? Because that's something that I feel like is an ongoing process for everyone who practices religion, right? So I'm just... Yeah. Yeah, I have so many thoughts. I'd love to know your thoughts. (laughs) Oh, I have so many thoughts on this. So um, it's funny because I think it boils all down to narrative. I think Mm. it boils down to um, perceptions, assumptions, misunderstandings um, of people, of groups. I mean, that's where stereotypes come in. And I think um, thinking about all that, like, let's say somebody identifies as Catholic, but there's nothing in their actions that are showcasing, you know, the the faith or the gospel, you know, I think that that becomes such a very dangerous thing, not just for themselves, but for others. Like you're, you're using the name of Jesus to condemn certain groups like that. That's not how it works. And so I think it really just is, it's hard and, and, and it's hard specifically for me because I'm Catholic and we are the ones who were 
people separated from us. And so there's like a perception of who we are and how we live out our faith and whether or not we're Christians and whatnot. And so I can kind of see it in that way. But then on the other side, I can also see like, um, I think just people's, uh, it just goes to show you like how much your actions like make a mark on people and what that becomes to associate with certain groups of people and, and whether falsely or not, like I, I, we love to think, well, that doesn't like define that group. You're right. It doesn't, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to attempt to. Whoa. Right. Like if I sit here and I, and I meet a certain person and they say that they're X, Y, and Z, and then they're mean to me, I don't want to make that association to everybody, but I can't help it because immediately the image, the narrative is forming and I'm thinking about that specific person and connecting them back back to that specific group. Well, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about with like language and the way we tell story. It's like having that label is telling a story about everyone else with that same label. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what it's doing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When it comes to things like people using their religion or their faith to condemn other groups, it's really, it's really hard, right? Because I think in the media, right? Like it's very much like, oh, you know, um, religious organizations are more conservative, right? Like there's a narrative that is being, um, you know, told and there are a lot of really, you know, conservative Christians who are touting these really racist or ableist or, you know, homophobic kind of, um, ideas. And at the end of the day, I always think, okay, like, right. Like I know it's, cheesy right but it's like the whole what would jesus do thing yeah you know again like if we're called to live like christ jesus loves everybody you know and i and whether or not somebody believes that you know a certain way of living is wrong or right isn't up for me to decide so at the end of the day i always just try and be as kind to people as I can. Of course, like I'm not perfect, right? Like I'm sure like there's definitely times where I'm probably not as nice to people as I could be, right? Like I mean, that's all of you us. You know, and that's just like being a human, right? Yeah. But you know, I feel like I'm always trying to be kind, be understanding. Um and you know, I, I it's it's a tricky it's a tricky line, right? Because it's like calling myself a Christian, right? People see me a certain way. Um, because of that label, right? Just like what Natalie was saying. So it's up to me to give these people the best impression of what a Christian looks like. Um, and you know, sometimes I fail at that, right? And then maybe I'm putting a bad narrative in someone else's mind, but at the end of the day, like I can only do my best, right? Yeah. And you can't live with the burden of trying to prop up an entire religion with so much history, right. everything in every single thing you do like right. that. That's an impossible thing to carry yeah. on your shoulders. Right. And of course, like it's really important to mention, right? Like Christianity has a history, right? Of being, of trying to colonize people, right? Like there is a history there, right? That's not painting Christianity in the best light. So, and you know, and I, I get that. I see that there have been plenty of people who have been hurt by the church just more broadly. You know, there's always going to be people who are abusing Christianity for their own, um, you know, gain, whether that's like abusing people, abusing children or just, you know, manipulating people. And I think it's easy to say, oh, Christianity is bad or, or whatever. Right. But, um, but at the end of the day, like, I believe what I believe and I believe it's true and I can only, you know, live as much like Jesus as I can. Right. Yeah. 100%. And I think that, you know, the, the heart of that is everyone's doing the best they can. Right. And I think everyone's going to fall short because your best is never going to be perfect and nobody's perfect. Right. And you know, but keeping in mind that you are doing the best you can, I think is, I don't know. It's heartening to me, you know, to know that people are doing the best they can. Um, I want to continuing on this line of thought, but going back to something that you mentioned earlier, um, I don't remember which of you said this, but when we were talking about the importance of making change and being a change maker, Um, one of you said that it's really about trying to find the most just thing to do. 
which I totally agree with, but I think the concept of justice is really fraught with a lot of different things. What does justice mean to y'all? How would y'all define that? And I do, if y'all want to keep including your faith as a part of that conversation, please do. Cause I think that of course that is going to be a part of this. Right. But I think yes. that was me who brought that up. Um, yeah, I was going to say that definitely sounds like something Natalie would say. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, I mean, I, I honestly just think it goes back to being valued. Um, and, and I think the, 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 the idea of, of what value means and, and everybody is going to be valued in, in different ways and, and whatnot. So like, for example, when I think of justice, I immediately going and thinking of like some, somebody did something wrong to a person. Right. So automatically their value was attacked or, or, you know, whatnot. Right. Or they thought they didn't have enough value. So I'm going to do this to them. Right. And then I think about, okay, so, you know, you go into the court system and let's say the person who hurt the other person get, gets off scot-free, right? And so we say that that wasn't just, that wasn't, justice was not served there in that case, which we see happening a lot, unfortunately. Right. And so I think in that case, like, I think we're sitting here trying to evaluate what the value of someone is and, and how much, what of their actions and what they've done, um is how, how equivalent that is to years in prison or a fine or a dollar amount or whatever. And so for me, like justice at the end boils down to if I see something and I'm going back to the read example, because I always, every time I'm in that building, I think about how inaccessible it is. Right. And you're in that building a lot. Yes. And so I think in like even the classrooms, like the classroom I taught in this semester, I'm like, if, if somebody with like an accessibility, like who needed accessibility, th it would not work in this classroom. And so I'm reading the space or I'm reading that building and I'm saying this person is not valued. Hence why this space is reflecting or not reflecting them in this yeah. And that's what justice means to me. At the end of the day, like it boils back down to how are we valuing this person? How are we not considering their value? How are we making them less than? Um, because I think there is a certain threshold um, where we say, OK, that person is being valued because of money or because of X, Y and Z, you know, all those types of things. And it's like, OK, so now we've made that the marker of whether or not somebody deserves to be treated in a certain way. And right. so to me, value at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, when I think of um, the idea of like who's being valued, right, I think of like who are the most vulnerable in our society and those people are not being shown justice in their everyday lives. So I think of children, people with disabilities, the elderly, are all people who tend to be taken advantage of the most. Um, and of course, like minorities, women of color, things like that, um, things, people like that. Um, you know, and like, it just shows like the most vulnerable in our society are the people who are the least valued. Mm. So things happen, tend to people, you know, things tend to happen to them more because they're less valued. And that's whenever I think of justice as being, you know, like Natalie said, this thing where we say like, okay, it equates to how many years in prison, what is the penalty going to be for whatever the thing is. And yes, that's a form of justice, right? But I think there's also justice in the small things like providing accessibility, just you know, not treating people differently based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or um, whether or not they have a disability, treating children with respect, not trying to take advantage of children just because they're children and we think that they don't know any better or that they can't, and, or elderly people, right? Like they're some of the most vulnerable in society um, as well. Um, I think of people who are, you know, being left in nursing homes because they don't have family members who can care for them and them not being cared for by the staff at the nursing home, for example. Right. Um, and it's like, that's sad, right? That makes me upset. Yeah. You know, and it, it's a judgment call. Like we don't value the elderly. We think, Oh, well they're, they're old. Like who cares? And it's like, no, I care. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it all just comes back to who do we value versus who we don't. I'm yeah. going to agree with Natalie on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, even thinking about your example of, you know, we think of the justice system and how justice is served, but even equating like 
this one crime or act of wrongdoing was committed against this person, we are going to assign a numeric value of years or money to how wrong it was to do this to that person. Like it is still placing a very real tangible, um, like number value that we can rank, right? We could totally go through like, um, court systems and see, oh, uh, who is robbery actually like being this, my sentence isn't making sense, but I'm like, if people are being robbed, who are we as a society valuing that it's worse to do that to based on the punishment, right? So even thinking about that, I love how y'all are separating that out because even within the justice, there is still that hierarchy at play. Yep. Oh, and then I just also want to mention, like, even when I'm thinking of just like people who are incarcerated are also people who are not Mm -hmm. valued, which is a whole other issue in itself. Um, yes, there are people who do deserve to serve time in prison because they did something that they should not have done. But at the end of the day, they also are people. They also have value. They also have value. Yes, they do. And, um, you don't lose your value just because you did something wrong. I mean, you got to serve the time for sure. Right. And get some help, but you don't lose your value just because you hurt someone else. You didn't gain their value, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're not no longer a human being exactly yeah and that's a whole other type of justice that needs to happen for people who are incarcerated right like there needs to be reform within the prison system um that can help people actually function outside of the prison system so yeah you know they are being they are serving their time and doing their penance right but they're also able to go back out and they're reformed and they know what they did wrong and they the rate of recidivism, right, would be lowered, you know, and that's a whole other situation. Um, There's so many things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and of course, these questions are, like, really big, weighty, heady questions, so we're not going to be able to completely um, sparse out every single element that we want to be able to get to, um, unfortunately, right? Um, Well, and even the three of us wouldn't be able to completely solve all these issues, unfortunately. Um, Awesome. Okay, so... Sorry, my leg keeps falling asleep. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> sorry. No, it's so fine. But I'm like, that's why I'm being like a wiggle worm over here. Um, so couple questions just to round out this lovely conversation that we've had. Um, one, is there anything that in light of our conversation we missed? Y'all want to throw out there? You want to clarify anything like that? This is a space for y'all to you know, kind of either add a little addendum, go back to something, anything at all like that. I'm good. I'm good too. I think Reese did a nice job of giving that little caveat of we can't get into the nitty gritty of every single thing we talked right. about today. So I feel like that is a good, like, um, <laughs> a good phrase for us. Yeah, too. I agree. Absolutely. I think it's important to be having these conversations, but also with the knowledge that a conversation is just a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's helpful for education and all of the other things, but yeah, there's so much more that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final question. And because y'all are grad students and writers, um, no hyphenating, no funny business, but what is just one word that describes how you're feeling right now? Joy. I feel, um, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I feel, I feel kind of like anxious a little bit, Mm. but maybe just because of like, Oh my goodness. I'm like so happy right now just to be here. (laughs) And you're like anxious. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm more trying to find like the feeling that my body's feeling and that like my mind, I think my body is anxious. Um, but my mind feels like at peace. Mm. Which isn't that such an interesting intersection? Cause I think we can have both of those at once, right? Mm-hmm. We can hold both and talking about things like this. It's like, it does feel good to be able to, you know, use the skill sets and tools in mind that we have to be able to talk about it. But 
it also can bring anxiety to think of all the work that's still yet to be done, right? Yeah, for sure. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, totally. I still feel joy. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. People always be like, is like happy a bad word? I'm like, no, just whatever word it is. There's no wrong answer. It's just a a little button on the end of our conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you both again so much for your time and generosity of energy and spirit. This is wonderful. Y'all are wonderful. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. This is so fun. Uh, you're amazing at this. Oh my goodness. Thank you. That's so nice of you to say. Yeah, this has been really fun. I'm so glad. Thank y'all. Okay. Once again, a big, huge thank you to Natalie and Dallas for taking time to record this episode with me. They also hosted me while we recorded and cooked me a delicious breakfast. And as you all know, at this point, invited me on their podcast. So just all of the gratitude for these two wonderful women and for the impact that they are making on the graduate and academia communities. If you want more of Dallas and Natalie, please, please, please go check out the PhD to be podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can follow them on Instagram at the PhD to be podcast. Thank you all so much for being here today, and I would love for you to be a part of the conversation. So share your thoughts on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or LinkedIn, all at the Cohere Collective. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Lillian Reese Brown if you would like to. If you want to hear more in-depth thoughts about today's episode, subscribe to the newsletter on thecoherecollective.com to catch the blog post coming out this Friday. You can subscribe to Making Meaning on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and if you feel so inclined, you can leave an honest review or rating. This truly is the number one thing that helps spread Making Meaning and the Cohere Collective, and if you've been inspired at all by what we're doing or believe in this project at all, That is really the number one way that you can show your support, and it would mean so much to me. Thank you to Podington Bear for making Meanings theme music, and to Nicole Ostriker for making Meanings art and podcast cover. You can find Nicole's work on Instagram at Nicole O Creates or at Nicole O Design. Right now, I am feeling relieved, I think is the word I'm landing on. I have had quite the busy week and I'm preparing to go out of town so of course there's a bunch of working ahead that needs to be done and preparation for that but having had just a really great day and knowing that a break is coming up in a little bit not in terms of content just in terms of my timeline will be really nice so yes I think I'm feeling relieved but also excited to be here once again with you all. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you feel like you are living more coherently. I will catch you all next time. Love.